coming up. He's going to be talking about opting out of the technocratic state. That's a big part of what Monerotopia is all about. Derek Rose doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. And he's going to teach all of us how to also walk the walk. Let's bring it, man. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Y'all still awake? I think I got you for 40 minutes, so we'll see where this goes. Yeah, one more round of applause for Doug and for the organizers, for everybody who's helping out make this happen. You know, if you know what it's like organizing, putting on events, it's a lot of work and not always that much reward. So thanks for putting in the effort. My name is Derek Rose. I currently live in Moreria, Michoacan, a couple hours away from here, originally from Texas. Uh, I've been a freelance investigative journalist for the last 14 years, activist, originally based in Houston, Texas, in the United States. And I've written a number of books. My talk tonight is based on my book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. I have Spanish and English copies if you want to check them out. It's also downloadable for free at theconsciousresistance.com slash howto my website theconsciousresistance.com slash how to so if you like anything that you hear out of this you can either pick up that or just check it out online but we're going to focus on i'll share a little bit of my background so you guys understand where i'm coming from and how what i'm going to share intersects with the crypto world uh first of all as i said i've been based in houston for this whole time uh, i started to get into independent journalism and activism after having my kind of wake up experience in 2009 2010 uh, I was living in Houston, read a couple of books, read some books from Ron Paul, heard him speak, got into libertarianism, and then eventually crypto. I started reporting as a journalist on crypto at the first event was uh, the Texas Bitcoin Conference in 2012, where I interviewed Vitalik way back then when it was like MT Gox stuff going on and for anybody who was around that long. And I got my first Bitcoin transaction in 2013. And I still get paid in crypto for my journalism. I have a salary every month as long as I keep writing articles and producing. I get crypto payments. And so I very much deal outside of the systems. I don't pay taxes in the United States. I haven't used a bank since 2008. And for me, crypto is very much not just a fun thing to come hang out at these conferences and talk about, but very much a way to get out of the system and to avoid banks, to avoid governments. For me, that's the whole purpose of you know this thing, not just to try to get rich or just to, I guess, be a part of some subculture, but to actually use this tool as a way to avoid the increasingly tyrannical systems that are in our world. And that's in wherever you're from. I know we have people coming from different places, the United States, Europe, and even in Mexico, even though Mexico has not been as bad as some other places in some ways, there are still efforts to bring some of these technocratic systems. So. I'm going to go through some ideas. I'll share some definitions and stuff, but I want you guys to understand that. So I've been messing with the crypto space since 2012, reporting on it, trying to understand it. And I'm by no means an expert. And, you know, you guys lose me when you get super deep with some of the technology. I'm more like a person that can go out and be a spokesperson and tell people, hey, you can actually use crypto in your everyday life. I pay for flights with it, hotels, et cetera, through the various sites like Travala. I get paid in it. I try to accept it for different things to show people that crypto, specifically Monero, can actually be a way to avoid the governmental systems, the banking system. Not just a fun thing that you do on the weekend, but an actual way to live outside of their system. So that's what I want to focus on. Um, but before we get a little deeper into that and, and why I wrote this book and what this book is about and how it's going to hopefully give you guys some, some tips tonight, 
I'd like to take a step back a little bit and share about the, I mentioned my websites, The Conscious Resistance. That's a place where I produce my documentaries, my books, podcasts, et cetera. That phrase, though, it has a very specific meaning, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about that before we go any deeper. So I'm 38 years old right now, but in 2005, I was 20 years old, and I got addicted to a number of drugs, eventually crystal meth in January 2005. And by November 2005, I was in prison. And in prison is where I discovered meditation, discovered prayer, started doing a lot of like healing from my own trauma, coming from a family of drug addicts and alcoholics. And having to go through that and find my freedom, my strength, my power behind bars, as well as find my clarity, my self-worth, it really showed me the importance of not only do we need to create new systems in the physical realm, like new financial systems, to create counter-economies, alternative underground economies outside of the mainstream systems, but that there also is this struggle, what I call the struggle against your own internal tyrant, your doubts, fears, insecurities, and limiting beliefs, which can hold you back and prevent you from being the best version of yourself, which we need right now on this planet right now. Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, one thing I'll say, I should have said this earlier, is I speak at a lot of different events. You know, I get, I mean, next week I'm speaking at Atlanta in this event called The Great Create for the Libertarian Party in Georgia. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm speaking at a permaculture event in Texas. Um, so I get to interact with a lot of different subcultures, crypto, entrepreneurship, spiritual, health, uh, liberty, anarchist, etc. And there's a lot of people looking for answers right now and a lot of people looking for solutions. And I feel like everybody has a piece of the puzzle. Many of you here understand the need for a privacy crypto. What we're going to talk about tonight is how I believe we need to take a more holistic perspective, right? Because having privacy coins is only one aspect of being free, especially in the world that we're moving towards. So I'll explain that in a moment. And so that's why, to me, what I call the conscious resistance, which is just the understanding, the recognition that the struggle for a more free, ethical, and just world will not come from only confronting physical institutions of power, like, say, the Federal Reserve or the central banking system, but also it will come from doing the internal work each of us individually healing our own trauma and then collectively becoming better people and making evolving past this primitive state of killing each other and using governments to force our views on each other. I don't know. Maybe that's possible. We'll see. But so it's a big picture. It's a big idea of trying to create a better world, both through the internal and the external. Right. So I made that clear. Maybe we'll we'll circle back to that in a little bit. So in my journalism, I've focused a lot on digital surveillance tools and digital privacy. This started because when I was based in Houston in 2012, I would leaked some images from a source with the Houston Police Department that showed me that I was under surveillance. And he actually sent me an image of a, it was like a projector screen that had my name and it had the name of the activist group that I started, the Houston Freethinkers. And this cop sent me a picture from within this training session basically saying, hey, he sent it through another journalist and was like, hey, if you know Derek Rose, let him know. He's being watched. He has a criminal intelligence officer assigned to him. And at that point, I was part of an activist group that had been doing things like building community gardens, you know, encouraging people to, we were holding some protests or whatever, but nothing illegal, nothing wrong. But it really kind of woke me up like, wow, I'm just some local activist doing things and now I'm under surveillance. And then a couple months later, I was leaked another picture and some more details about this. So that led the beginning of me going down the rabbit hole of trying to understand, well, if I'm under surveillance, then I need to understand what does that really mean? What are the tools that the local police department have that I might be subject to? And so that led me to understanding and investigating things like what are called cell site simulators in the United States, they're called stingrays. 
And it's basically just a little laptop looking device that the police can drive around and they can scoop up all the text messages and pictures and phone calls and metadata off your phone. I was learning about things like these machines that allow them to peer into people's homes to detect signatures to see how many people are in the house. Um, drones, of course. Uh, there's this thing in the U.S., this company called ShotSpotter. What they do is they install this listening device, this microphone in street poles, and they claim it's to help detect gunshots to reduce gun violence. There's no evidence it actually works. Instead, it's just listening to people all the time, right? So I started to just learn about these tools. I started to get into understanding facial recognition technology. I started to understand um, the Chinese technocratic system, the social credit score system, the Indian Adhar system, which means the foundation you know, I don't know if you guys are aware, but in the last few years in the Indian government, along with funding from groups like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and others, we went around to every single Indian village, town, big and small, and they scanned the retinas of over 1 billion Indian citizens and put them on the Adhar foundation system. This means now to do anything in India to get a house or rent an apartment, to open a bank account, to get social welfare, et cetera, you have to have a digital identity and be take part in the Adhar system. And there's a number of privacy concerns related to that. There's also just basic things like the power doesn't always work in India. And there's examples even reported in the mainstream of people dying while waiting to get their weekly stipend from the government because some people are literally that close to death and they need the money and they're sorry, like, sorry, the power's down. We can't give you your weekly uh, you know, welfare check. So I started to understand the ADR system, started to look at the social credit score system to see how these systems are connected with artificial intelligence, with facial recognition cameras. And obviously everybody here understands the potential benefits. So we're not gonna sit here, I mean, my talk's not going, to, um, not going to champion the potential benefits. I think we all understand technology is a tool. There's good and there's bad, right? So please don't mistake my talk or my work for being anti-technology. I use technology every day in my work, but we all also have to be real with the fact that these technologies, including blockchain, are going to underpin some of the scariest potential futures that are really right on the cusp of happening. So blockchain has the potential to be a digital prison or to be the gateway like with things like Monero to, to more freedom. So I was researching, investigating these things. Uh, in about 2019, I decided I wanted to write a book that would ask the question, which would describe the situation, sort of a warning of like, hey guys, here's some things that are happening, here's some things that you know are on the horizon, and to really ask the question, like Raphael's going over the importance of privacy. How does a person who cares about privacy continue to interact and interface with technology as we move forward in a world that is increasingly appears to be valuing privacy less and less, and in which many ways we're giving up our privacy? Most of you are voluntarily giving it up by using phones and using other devices and then various apps that you add to it and all that kind of fun stuff. We trade often our privacy for convenience. I really think that in this world we're in now and the world that's coming into existence, it's going to be even more important. There's kind of this constant battle between your principles and your values and things like privacy, or do you want things to be easy and fast and convenient? Those two things often conflict with each other. And I think we, we each have to decide where that line is for us. So in 2019, I started to write this book, which became the first edition of How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. I published it in January 30th, 2020, right before COVID. And it actually has become my best-selling book. It's been translated now to Spanish, French. It's about to be published in Japanese and Korean. And it's because what I was writing about, it didn't predict some of the scariest things we've seen the last couple of years, but it did anticipate that these things were coming, the push towards digital identities. We saw this under the the guise of so-called vaccine passports and immunity passports. Okay, so it's at this point in this conversation where 
I'd like to ask a couple questions. Like I said, I don't want to make assumptions because I, I speak to such a wide range of people. I don't ever assume that we're all on the same page. Just to be like Monero, we sure have a lot of differences, right? It's important. So let me just throw out a couple of questions and by a show of hands, this will help me shape the rest of this remaining time I have. Has anybody ever heard, who, who's here is familiar with central bank digital currencies, CBDC? Great, cool. Who's familiar with the firm, The Great Reset? Agenda 2030, technocracy. Cool. I'm among most of the friends and the rest of you will just come along for the journey. We'll see where we get. So I'm the co-founder of an organization or really a, it's not an organization, it's an idea, it's a concept, it's a website, it's a movement. It's called the Freedom Cell Network. The website is freedomcells.org, C-E-L-L-S.org. This is a concept that I first heard about in 2015 and that I've been promoting since 2016, but it didn't take off until 2020 during what I call COVID-1984. Does that phrase make sense to some of you in here? Hopefully, right? Okay. For the rest of you who are scratching your heads, you will find out. Um, so we've been promoting this idea of building freedom cells. What we call freedom cells is basically the idea of getting together in groups of eight to nine to 10. There's some group dynamics and uh, uh, research behind the, the group size of eight. So we, we kind of fell into that and said, hey, what if we focus on building these local decentralized groups of eight in all different areas? And it's sort of like an activist support network, right? So let's imagine you started a freedom cell. And the other thing is don't get caught up on the name. People call them hubs, hives, circles, pods, whatever. The name is irrelevant. It's this idea of organizing everywhere in a decentralized way, but at the same time, forming part of a larger network. Very much like the cells in your body, right? You have millions, billions of cells, cells in your body. Every single cell in there is unique and is individual and is powerful on its own, but it's also part of the larger network, the ecosystem that is you, right? And that's the way freedom cells operate. So let's say that we all lived here in this local community and wanted to start a freedom cell. Clearly we're all interested in Monero. So maybe our freedom cells first meeting, we decide what are the goals that we have collectively between the eight to 10 people here. Let's say in the next six months, we can set the following goals. Well, one of them would be, hey, let's make sure everybody's got a Monero wallet, right? So we can all create our own counter economy together. Uh, maybe then you realize some of you are interested in growing your own food. So you decide, let's watch a permaculture documentary together and see if we want to learn more about this. Or let's take a permaculture course together. Uh, maybe you want to make sure that everybody in the group has an encrypted form of communication so you guys can safely and privately communicate, right? Uh, maybe you decide it's it's important to know that everybody in the group understands how to do CPR, right? So you take a CPR class together. The idea being that there's no one single leader, that the knowledge and the power is diffused among the, this cell, this pod, this hive. And so I've been promoting about this, this idea across the U.S. and doing tours, and people were interested. And they were, you know, like, yeah, this is a great idea. But it wasn't until COVID-1984 that we saw this massive growth. The Freedom Cells website at freedomcells.org is basically just a place where you can sign up. And by the way, it's in, I think, five different languages right now because it is a worldwide movement. The website's in Spanish, German, uh, Portuguese, a couple other languages. Um, but we've been promoting this idea. The website helps people facilitate connections. So if you were to go join the website, you create like a profile. What are your interests? What are your goals? The main feature is the maps. You can search the maps and say, show me all the groups or all the people that are within five miles of me. And now we've added a new feature where you can say, show me all the people who say they're looking to meet in person. Like if you're ready to like connect with people in person or maybe you're ready to start, you know, getting on the land. Some people come to free themselves because they're trying to buy land. They're trying to start really getting out of the system in that way. But the point is the website allows for that connection to happen. Before COVID-1984, and years of promoting. We had about 1,000 to 2,000 people on the website. 
Now around 2020, Telegram started to get really big. COVID-1984 happened in March 2020. That's right when I moved to Mexico, I started the first Mexico Freedom Cell. And at that time, we've just seen this exponential growth. There's now 39,000 people all around the world on the Freedom Cells website and tens of thousands more people who are doing Freedom Cells in Europe and in Australia and Mexico. Like if you are on Telegram, just search at Mexico Freedom Cell and you'll see that. Check the, the pinned message and you'll see the list of all the different cells that have been created the last couple of years all around this country and in other countries. Some of them are doing it on Telegram. Some of them are doing it on our website. Um, and for us... The bigger picture goal, we're not just trying to help people find each other. That's a part of it. But really what we're trying to create is the beginning of the infrastructure for a complete parallel network and a parallel ecosystem outside of tyrannical governments, outside of central banks, outside of people who want to try to force various medical interventions on people and violate bodily autonomy and individual sovereignty, right? This is our vision. This is how the narrow factors into my work, right, is that I'm living outside the system by not using banks having a relationship with the IRS or any of those kind of institutions and striving to go further away from those systems to not be dependent on those systems because I don't want to be dependent on grocery stores that might one day say I can't come in if I'm not wearing a mask or I haven't received this latest shot or whatever it could be. It could be because my social credit score is too low. Are people familiar with social credit scores? I've mentioned it a couple of times, but if not, we can go into it. I think you guys are probably all fairly familiar. It's the idea of like a credit score, which typically applies to your debts and whether you pay your bills on time. But a social credit score is more about your social behaviors. And so we've seen it in China and Korea and other places already being used to reinforce positive behavior. What that means is let's say you're walking on the street and you decide to litter and one of the tens and thousands of uh, facial recognition cameras around you, see you, immediately scan your face, identify you, and place your face up on a digital billboard as an antisocial person who has just littered, your social credit score goes down. And the people who associate with you, their score goes down too. So it's a way of, takes it, does, it takes the gun out of the tyranny of government and allows technology to do social engineering. Instead of putting a gun to someone's head and saying, do what we say or we'll kill you, you basically create digital infrastructure, get people dependent on it, and then when they are dependent on it, you can dangle these, what we used to call rights, privileges over their heads. So for example, in China, when people, activists have gone out and protested, let's say against the zero COVID policies, when they were going out and protesting that people were being literally welded into their houses during COVID, those activists' faces would be scanned again by the facial recognition cameras. And there were instances when activists were on their way to protests and when they went to go use public transportation and they had to use their digital ID, right, because they already have that system, their privileges had been turned off and they weren't able to ride the bus to get to the protest. Do you understand that? That's a digital prison. It's a way to penalize people like, oh, you want to say things we don't like? You want to post things on the internet we don't like? Well, we'll just turn you off. We'll turn your accounts off, right? And this is the danger of the CBDCs that are coming in and all this stuff. So again, I'm focusing on the negatives, the potential negatives of the technological world we're moving into because I think that's what's most important right now. And in this book, I talk about ways to use the Freedom Cell Network, to use this concept to create parallel systems those parallel systems and those communities existing outside of the mainstream systems are going to need currencies like Monero in order to operate outside of those mainstream Federal Reserve central bank systems. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. 
pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Use Monero to buy gifts this year. Everyone has coffee drinkers on their list. For a limited time only, get 10% off of three, six, and 12-month gratuitous.org coffee subscriptions. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. In the book, I talk about this idea of exit and build. The way I see it is, you know, half of you or more than half of you raised your hand and said, you know what the Great Reset is, right? So let's do it again. Who knows about the Great Reset? Agenda 2030, technology, like nearly everybody in here, right? So I want to just, I don't know where I'm at on time, but I want to start to really drill in here. Look, guys, think about this. If you understand Agenda 2030, it's May 2023. We have six and a half months until these people's deadline of when they would like to achieve this agenda of a global transformation that doesn't favor individuality, privacy, liberty, etc. Uh, I'm not here to fear mong. I'm just saying, let's be real about this timeline. That doesn't mean their timeline is going to happen. But what we need to focus on as people who value privacy and value things like Monero is what is our 2030 going to look like? Because we don't have to accept you'll own nothing and be happy. We don't have to accept CBDCs, smart cities, lack of privacy, lack of individual choice, social credit scores, we can create something else. And I think that's what's most exciting to me about watching the crypto space grow over the last decade that I've been involved in it, is seeing all the different directions. But at the same time, even back in 2012, I noticed that there were people in the crypto space who wanted more government involvement, who wanted government regulation, who thought that that was going to be the answer to adoption. And thankfully, there are things like Monero have continued to grow and people understand the value of being outside the systems. That is what this idea that I talk about of exit and build is about. So let's say... We recognize that the mainstream economic system doesn't value our privacy, that it's run by criminal banks that have been robbing the American people and people all over the world blind. Like, by the way, is anybody here with Chase Bank? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just saying, well, let's just use that as an example. Chase Bank recently, you know, we found out that they openly knew that Epstein was funneling money through to his victims after Epstein was exposed in 2008. JP Morgan and Chase continued to bank with Epstein and allowing him to funnel money to victims of his sexual abuse. Why would we want to participate in banks like that, in institutions like that, and give them our money? I mean, we really need to think in terms of voting with your dollar, but applying it in this holistic way, economy, food, energy, spirituality, getting the kids out of the school, et cetera. Like, that's what I consider exiting building, is if you recognize that there's a system that is essentially a slavery system that doesn't align with your values and your principles, then make the effort to exit from that system and build a new one and or support the people who are building the new ones, right? Since I'm not a tech, tech guy, I don't build the new steps, the new tools, but I can go out there and be a spokesperson and say, hey guys, for those of you who don't know, there's people working on privacy projects. There was a discussion about, uh, about Apple and about the phones. Perfect. I get some freaking water up here. <laughs> got dry mouth. Somebody got me too high before this, sorry. Um, so, what was that? Uh, we're talking about this, brother brought up the phones a few moments ago. I want to spend a second on that because this is another huge, just huge like blind spot in so many brilliant people's thinking. My friend Ramiro Romani has a company called Above Phone, and it's not a perfect solution, but it's a step in that direction. Abovephone.com. What he does is he sells de-Googled uh, privacy-based phones, He's using graphene, but he loads it with all privacy-based, open source, you know, decentralized apps that all the alternatives. So instead of Google Maps, you got 
organic maps, they pass me on. Thank you, brother. Organic maps, magic earth, things like that, right? So it's preloaded with all these alternative tools. And his company is now shipping to the US and Mexico. They're a small company, but the point is there are alternatives. It's just that so many people, like how many people here have a tech team that's still using Google? That all your shit's on Gmail and Docs and or Microsoft Teams and like that's another big blind spot. And I'm just being real. I'm not, you know, calling anybody out particularly, but I see this all over. I go to like a, a month ago, I was in the jungle in Costa Rica talking to the spiritual type folks who are all trying to do blockchain for, you know, next you know, uh, Web three, Web four point, all kinds of really brilliant ideas, and they're all using Google. It's just to me, it's like a huge blind spot, and none of us are perfect, but. There's things like CryptPad. There's alternatives to everything that Google offers you. No more Google.com, privacytools.io. All these things are already out there. And those of you who are in the Monero space should definitely not be using those things. I mean, I would expect to come to you guys and find out about things that I haven't heard about, right? Like your guys on the next, I would assume would be on the next tip further ahead than the rest of us. But there's so many areas that we can improve. And so this idea of exiting and building is just about looking at that, right? And you guys understand Monero, you understand privacy coins. I just wanna mention a couple other areas that I would encourage you to consider. Food, another major one. If you don't know shit about growing your own food, guys, I encourage you to start. Go volunteer at a community garden once a weekend. See how that experience is like. If you're not gonna become the gardener or the farmer, at least get to know the local farmers at the farmer's markets near you. Damn, I didn't even drink any water today. Get to know the people near you. Don't be dependent on their systems. It's not just finances. And I know that for some people, crypto is just like another subculture, right? I, I, I get to see this because I get to dip my toes in here, but then on next week, I'll be in a different subculture, the health freedom people. Then I'll be in another subculture, and I can kind of see the common ground and the blind spots, and we all have blind spots, including myself. But crypto privacy is only one aspect of it. If you truly want to be free, you need to not be dependent on people for your power in terms of energy, your food. Not, I'm not saying we all need to turn into farmers, but again, at least have some local connection. Some We need to decentralize the food supply as well, decentralize food distribution and production systems. We need community gardens, backyard gardens, food forests, all these things everywhere. Look up Jim Gale, Food Forest Abundance. This guy's doing amazing work. Learn about more about permaculture, seeing tropic agroforestry. Like it's crypto and Monero is only one aspect of a for me, a more holistic, bigger picture to being completely free from the system. And I'm not even saying it's completely possible. Like I constantly run into these limitations as somebody who doesn't have a bank account and doesn't have a credit card of, you know, like I fly to the US and all of a sudden I'm stuck at the airport and I can't eat anything because everything is telling me I have to scan a QR code to buy food. Even though there's a human being right there. Or I can't order an Uber because I don't have a bank account or a card attached to just different little things that are just inconveniences at the moment. But the more ingrained we become into that world, those things will become more difficult. And I know most people are just going to go along for the wave and maybe even ride the transhumanist wave. But for me, I want to use these beautiful tools to the best degree that I can while also remaining a free human being and maintaining privacy and liberty and things of that sort. Does that make sense to you guys? I'm going to mention one or two other things and I'll wrap up. Um, so I, this is not just me ranting and raving at you. This is, I'm living this lifestyle, trying to lead by example of what I think are the solutions. So I live in Michoacan, three and four hours away from here. And just last week, myself and our team, we just purchased our land. We're about to start building a community. It's called the Conscious Agora, theconsciousagora.com. Thank you very much. It's, it's just the beginning of a really beautiful project, but our idea is a network of free communities around the world that are united by three common principles. Respect for individual liberty, 
and everything that that entails, the use of permaculture principles in the way that we grow our food and design our, our living systems, and what we just consider mindfulness, which is just generally interested in people who are have emotional intelligence and emotional maturity and want to keep evolving and growing as people. And we envision this being a network of communities that will be very diverse and beautiful in their own right, but united by those common principles. And this is creating this parallel system, this counter economy. These communities are prime to, to accept Monero. And that's what I think is the beautiful thing is the people who are part of the exit and build freedom cell movement. Also, I host an event January in Morelia called The Greater Reset. I encourage everybody here who's coming who loves to be in Mexico to come back in January 2024. It's five days of all solutions focused talk. We have a whole day dedicated to take back our tech. We had Dark Pride, a bunch of other people speaking there recently. Um, so yeah, we're focused on solutions, actually trying to build a movement out here in Mexico, but around the world. And I encourage you to check it out, freedomcells.org, thegreaterreset.org, theconsciousresistance.com. I have a 17-part documentary series called The Pyramid of Power if you want to go down the rabbit hole. And, uh, yeah, thank you, guys. Can I, can I end one thing? I always end my talks with a particular affirmation. It's an affirmation that I used when I went to prison that helped me out when I was in those dark times. But before I do that, since I think I got a moment, I'd actually like to perform an acapella song for you, if that's okay, if I have your permission. Okay. I perform music under the name 33. My website is 33ishere.com for that. I think I'm going to be performing tomorrow. Maybe some music, but let's just do it without the music. All right, you guys make some noise. Let's, let's, uh, let's wake up a little bit. I woke up this morning feeling I have something to say. I got doubt on my mind. It's time to let it fly away. It's time to unlearn poison and heal broken hearts. Go back to the end. It's time for a fresh start. This is the place we can atone for our sins. This is the place where our hero's journey begins. A space between love and hate where there's no escape from our fate. Rather than be irate, let's create, let's build. The better world we know is possible. I've got no fear because we can overcome any obstacle. I stare all my demons in the face. I'll show you what's possible. I send love from my heart. I'm intuitive, not illogical. It's just that lately I've been searching for deeper meaning. I'm sick of drugs, booze, mindless sex, and criminal scheming. Feels like I deserve more this time. Sorry. Feels like I deserve more at this point in time. I'm talking knowledge, not money. I'm trying to feed my mind. Open up all three of my eyes and fly to the heavens. During my meditation, I see my life in chapters of seven. I connect to my inner child to heal my wounds. I recall those I've lost to dope gone too soon. My life flashes before me, a collage of joy and pain. I recall the highs, the lows. I swear I'm going insane. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this journey. Spent too much time worried about things that don't concern me. No more time wasted, not chasing my dreams. I wake up every day knowing this world ain't what it seems. We got to make our own path. We got to find our own meaning because we can't be sure we might be dreaming all i know is when i look in your eyes i see myself i'm just a reflection of your impression of my higher self could it be that our whole reason for being our existence is a lesson that teaches over and over until we get this you are powerful you are beautiful and you are free shake off your chains you were blind but now you see grandfather help us remember where we come from grandmother walk with us until the battle is won thank you guys I got books and stuff. If you want to come find me, I'll be here all weekend, guys. Appreciate you. I don't know if there's time for questions or what, but I'm down if you guys are.
yeah, I'm down. So for one, you had a huge effect on my life personally. I'd like to thank you for that. And it ties into my question, which is, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you cover uh, relative to, I mean, you've got your Corbett reports and your, you know, your, uh, you know the, the laundry list of alternative media out there that they do incredible work. Don't get me wrong, but uh, very few people touch on the internal battle as like you do. Um, and I, I probably filled my head with a more than adequate amount of knowledge before I realized how that was the most important thing to deal with. So for one, thank you for that. Uh, but secondly, what is a good way to draw people's attention to the internal healing that must take place? I think, uh, especially in, I guess, the nerd community, there's a lot of outward views on things and there's very little inner work. I think you understand my question, so I'll just shut up. Thank you for that, brother, as well. I appreciate that. Thank you for the comment. It's good to know that the message is hitting people where it needs to. Uh, so his question is about how to reach people. For those who don't know my work, again, my website consciousresistance.com. I do journalism, but my work also does talk about internal healing, meditation, spirituality, and exploring all that. And I do think that's an essential part of the message um, as his brother was, was recognizing. So his question was, how do we get more people to think about that, right? I would say that most of the various spaces, like when I started doing public speaking a decade ago, most of the anarchists, the voluntarists, the crypto anarchists, and maybe this still holds up for a lot of people, were very much strong proud atheists who consider themselves very logical and rational and things like spirituality or meditation were just like beneath them or they had lack of interest or no interest. I think that has changed in a lot of ways because you, you see this merging of like the ayahuasca spiritual community with crypto, with psychedelics, with healing and the anarchists. There's a, there's a lot of, I think, things that have changed. But for those who struggle with that, it really has to be an internal choice. There's nothing you can do to force somebody to say, hey, like look inside yourself. What I've found in my experience is usually it takes something traumatic. For me, going to prison. For other people, somebody gets sick or they, you know, they hit a rock bottom of some kind and then they start doing that internal work and looking for that. But I would just recommend, and I've talked about this in some of my other books, if you're at the beginning of that journey and you're trying to get to know yourself on a deeper level, start to journal, start to write your thoughts down as silly and trite and simple as that sounds. Write your thoughts down before bed, write your thoughts down in the morning and really make that a practice. And the insights that come to you will be important. And I think that that itself kind of lends itself towards the healing process. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I have a book called The Holistic Self-Assessment that you can download on my website, theconsciousresistance.com. It's on the books tab. And it's all about, it's basically the, a very simple book that takes you through the process that I took myself through in prison to get to know yourself better and to ask hard questions. Yeah. Any other questions? All right, amazing. Oh, we got one more. One more. Let's get it in. Quick, quick question because we're running a little behind now. Yeah. Uh, so there's uh, lots of people afraid of this word, uh, and you mentioned everything from start. So it, you listened to Ron Paul and like inspired you and everything, uh, but you never said the word. So are you a libertarian or you're an anarchist? 
Uh, the question is, am I a libertarian or an anarchist? I consider myself to be an anarchist or a voluntarist, but my books focus on agorism, which is a strain of anarchism that talks about building parallel systems, counter economies. Again, it ties in perfectly with Monero. It is like the guy that wrote these these ideas in the 70s and 80s, he died 20 years ago in 2004. He predicted Bitcoin. He predicted crypto and this counter economy and everything we're seeing today. He just didn't live to see it. Thank you, guys. Derek, man, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you so much.